So we're uh, looking at 1 John, we're looking at 1 John 6 through 7. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Now, in our last lesson, if you might remember, we considered the, the two extremes that we as believers or the church can become mixed up in if we don't heed the wisdom of uh, Proverbs 4.23 that says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So there are two extremes that I talked about. And uh, that's what kind of what 1 John 1.6 is addressing. He's addressing those folks who say one thing and do another. Boy, who hasn't done that, right? Who hasn't said one thing and, and turn around and do another? Uh, in, in the examination of these extremes... Um, <clears throat> You know, we, we've seen where people say they're in fellowship with God, yet because of these extremes that they get caught up in in their life, like isolationism, that's what I titled it, isolationism kind of tends towards legalism and ceremonialism. We see this in a lot of these uh, ceremonial uh, religions that are out there. Uh, they believe uh, that their fellowship with God is all based upon keeping rules keeping traditions, uh, keeping, you know, a standard uh, that sometimes is quite contrary to God's word. And these these folks are um, enslaved to what is it that Paul says in Colossians, the beggarly elements of the world, and their mantra is often touch not, taste, uh, taste not, and handle not. So they're all wrapped up in that. Uh, then there's those who track toward what I call... Um, libertarianism and um, that's a way of life that is kind of a, kind of a reaction against legalism so there you've got those pendulum swings that you often see in uh, Christianity and so they're they're just the opposite of legalism and it leads into licentiousness that's a big fancy word fun to say but licentiousness and that's nothing more than an abuse of God's grace. That's really what it is. It's an abuse of God's grace. They, they, they make themselves free of any accountability. And often, this freedom of accountability, they end up trampling on the consciences of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, they're poor examples to these folks who may be looking to them as an example or looking to them for counseling or as a model but yet by their life they are in in fact a, a poor example or a poor or poor model and these folks they'll, they'll claim to be in fellowship with God but yet they'll live lives that are more about the pursuit of fleshly endeavors than those things that are spiritual there's that there's that extreme Neither of these two extremes, and again, we're talking about extremes, all right? Neither of these two extremes really leads to the fellowship that John wrote, is writing about here in this epistle. He says here in 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You've got to keep that in mind when you're reading 1 John. It's about fellowship with God the Father. 
and Jesus Christ the Son. Now, there's no real joy in legalism. There is no real joy in legalism. There's, al- there's always that, that fear of committing some perceived transgression. I don't know, has anybody in here ever get, gotten caught up in a, in a legalistic system? I have. I've been there. And you're always afraid of, of, of committing some cardinal or venial sin. Okay? You're always worried about that. And then at the same time, libertarianism, their joy is a shallow joy. It's a, it's a superficial joy uh, based on the affection of earthly matters. You know, as long as I'm getting my way, as long as I've got that brand new car, as long as I've got this, this, and this, and this, I'm happy. Well, that's kind of a superficial happiness. Um, a wise pastor once told me, and I thought, for me, this was great advice. And I hope it is for you. He told me this. He says, it is idealism that causes much trouble among Christians. And that idealism it covers all these extremes. Because we can be idealistic as believers. He says, we must maintain a balance in our Christian walk based upon God's word and the principle of love and not based upon our preferences, our prejudices, or our opinions. And I, at the time, that was the advice I needed in my life. And I think that's good advice. Because so often people are, are driven more by their preferences, more by their prejudices, and more by their opinions than what does God's word say? What does God's word say? First John 1 John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Uh, it is in this environment of extremes that many find themselves in darkness rather than in the light of God's word. Uh, darkness is, um, again, darkness. When we're talking about darkness here, we're not talking about in, in, in regards to someone's salvation. All right? You need to understand, that's what First John is not talking about that. The darkness that First John is talking about is talking about our fellowship and our relationship with the Father. Sometimes we think we're okay with God, but when you go to God's Word, you come to find out it's just the contrary. It's just the contrary. Again, it's those prejudices and opinions, those fears sometimes that drive us. So on your study guide, yes, we are at our study guide. Born-again believers are always prone to the temptation, is your word, to justify their sin and claim to be in fellowship with God at the same time. That's what 1 John 1, 6 is saying. Okay? And am I correct in saying that that's your first blank? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You see, many of God's people have grown quite adept at believing that their particular way is the right way, and others who fail to measure up to their way are wrong. But who's to say that their way is according to God's word? Okay? So, on your study guide, again, talking about extremes, 
The extremist legalists believe this is so by the keeping of their rules and yet foster a heart attitude of smug superiority about those who they deem carnal by their standards. So superiority is 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 your word. These are the moat pickers among us. (laughs) These are the moat pickers among us. Those folks that Matthew, uh, uh, Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. They're so ready to point out the flaws of everybody else's life where they're not walking according to the way they, they should walk. But yet what are they doing? They're walking around with a railroad tie in their eye. They're, they're blind to their own faults, but they're really quick to point out everybody else's faults. Because they, they have their own particular standard by which they judge everybody. These kind of folks, they have a lot of law to oppose upon others, but very little love to show for others. To show for others. A lot of law... Very little law, uh, love. You know, if you, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus was often confronted by this attitude when he dealt with the Pharisees. Right? These guys were full of law. But they had no love for the people. In fact, that's one of the things I believe the Pharisees, that, that's what upset the Pharisees about Jesus, is because Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people. And they were, they were quick to accuse Jesus of breaking the law because he healed on the Sabbath day. I mean, they would overlook the fact that this poor man for 38 years couldn't even get up or this woman was bent over double for, what was it, 18 years or whatever and this other woman suffered. You know, it, it just amazes me, that mentality. Instead of rejoicing over this, these men and these women who had been burdened under this grievous infirmity, no, they found fault in Jesus. He shouldn't have done that. He's not of God. He healed on the Sabbath day. Have you ever run into anybody like that? Some of God's people are so wrapped up in their own self-righteousness that they actually bind their hands from reaching out to others in love that need it. They're so wrapped up in their own self-righteousness that they won't walk across the street to to tell somebody about the healing gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of God's people exist in what I call a spiritual caste system. You know? Uh, They have this mindset that they're not going to defile themselves with others. And so they don't ever get involved in the lives of others. Because they're keeping themselves pure for God's sake. Is that according to God's word? See, that's a darkness that a lot of people find themselves in. That's a darkness. They claim to be in fellowship with God... But yet, 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You're walking in darkness. You're walking in darkness. So on your study guide, you got the other extreme. 
The libertarian leads a life that permits them, is your word, permits them to lead a life of self-centered, often fleshly, pursuits. Self-centered pursuits, unwilling to own up to the adverse impact that they have on others by their example. The folks that are of this mindset, what I find often with them is that they blame others for their bad behaviors. They blame others for their bad behaviors. That's that libertarian mentality. You know, don't get upset with me for exercising my liberty. You're the one that's the problem, not me. You know, the Apostle Paul was constantly dealing with this kind of mentality in the churches that he wrote to. In one example, Paul had to instruct those um, who were flaunting their liberty in regards to meat being offered to idols. Now, of course, in America, we don't really deal with that issue that much, but the principle still applies. The principle still applies. He was admonishing these folks, not so much for their exercising their liberty, like they understood that the gospel freed them from such things, right? They understood that. They got it. And Paul wasn't, he wasn't getting on them for the exercising of the grace that they understood and the liberty they, no, what he was getting on them about was their lack of love and compassion and understanding for those who hadn't quite got it as far as grace is concerned. And these people were either flaunting their grace or maybe, maybe they were talking down to these people in other words, they were, they were, they were trespassing against the consciences of these people. And Christians do that all the time. All the time. If somebody has a sensitive conscience towards something, you know, we're not aware of it. Or if we are aware of it, you know, we think they're foolish or weak or whatever. Some of God's people live such an unrestrained life that it's a real problem for those who are wrestling in their conscience about certain things. And all I'm saying and what Paul's saying is be sensitive to these folks. I gave you the example of our friends who had issues with television, right? We kept the television off. If it, if it, if, you know, if they, in their good conscience, they didn't want anything to do, we just left it off. We didn't turn it on. We didn't turn it on. And, you know, that's kind of a weird example, but there's, I remember one time going on a discipleship trip. And it was so wild. I, I was sitting there at the table and the waitress came around asking for things. You know, who, and I asked for a root beer. I am not kidding, the church that we went to, the folks that were sitting around, there was a collective gasp because I asked for root beer. I like root beer. So I asked the gal sitting across from me, I said, what did I just do? What, what did I just do? And she says, don't you realize what kind of bottle root beer comes in? 
a brown bottle. I went ahead and drank my root beer. But that's what I'm talking about. You know, that's what I'm talking There are some folks that are just that way. And again, talking about this extremism, unfortunately in the church today, there is a very powerful and very influential pre- uh, preaching from the pulpit that uh, fosters the affections of the church to be more self-centered and to pursue this old perishing world above other things. That's libertarianism as well. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ. The problem is, that's not what's being preached from these pulpits. Instead of seeking for those things that are above, they're telling you, hey, it's okay to seek for those things that are down here on earth. It's kind of like they've taken that command of Jesus and turned it around in the pulpits. Instead of seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, they preach instead that you seek these things of the world because that is the kingdom. And as long as you're righteous, as in giving to my ministry, then God will bless you. God will bless you. That's that extreme again. And people are buying into it by the thousands. So on your study guide, both extremes move in a moral and spiritual sphere that is absent of God who is holy, loving, and righteous. Moral and spiritual sphere that is absent of God who is holy, loving, and righteous. While professing to be living God's truth, these extremes and attitudes and actions, one holding to rules and, and traditions, the other one to reckless lives, um, unmindful of others, they're actually in darkness. I don't care how religious you pretend to be, you're in darkness. Now, I know that's a pretty harsh statement, but... We live in an age, a church age, that if, you, if you're not aware of it, we're living in a church age of, of extremes, folks. We really are. James 2.8 says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. And if you read through 1 John, you cannot miss... That underlying theme of love. Love for God and love for others. You have, if you want a fellowship with God, then you're gonna want it, you're, you're gonna have to love His light, His truth. If you're gonna fellowship with God, then you're gonna have to love His righteousness. What He says is righteous. And if you're going to want a fellowship with God, then you're going to have to love God and love others as he shows us how to do so in his word. Otherwise, you'll be in darkness. 
I don't want to be in darkness. Love for God and his word, his truth, love for righteousness, love for the brethren as well as for the lost. You read that repetitively through 1 John's epistle. 1 John. That is a constant, reoccurring theme all through his epistle. Gospel of John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if we keep this verse out of John's Gospel, John 4.24, in the light of what we're looking at here in 1 John uh, chapter 1, 6 through 10, if we keep that in mind, that sincerity and truth, then you're way ahead of the crowd. Because that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about a sincere, real relationship with God. Now remember, I said, darkness cannot abide where light exists, and light will not fellowship with darkness. That is a spiritual fact. So we want to be in the light. Why? Because we want to fellowship with God. Alright? That's what First John is, is talking about. This is the truth his disciples needed to learn. This is the truth that the Samaritan woman needed to learn in John chapter 4. And guess what? It's a lesson that we need to learn in this day as well. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We say one thing and do another. So on your study guide, again with these extremes, the legalists may say that they are in fellowship with God, but in reality, maybe under the darkness of legalism that breeds either fear or pride or both. So darkness, fear, and pride is your three words. In such a system, there is the constant fear of judgment and displeasure from a wrathful God or some pastor or priest or even prisoners, is your word, of their own conscience, all of which will rob believers of their assurance in Christ. I've, I've got to be careful here. Good men, don't get me wrong. But I've served under certain men that you really had to walk on eggshells with. Because they were really quick to lower the boom for the least transgression. For the least transgression. That's, that, there's not a lot of joy in that. There's not a lot of joy serving under a legalistic system. Also on your study guide, there also exists the risk of a prideful disposition. Prideful disposition that stems from a self-satisfied righteousness whose fruit is contempt and revulsion toward those that fail to measure up to their particular standards. Much law, but a lot of very little grace. Much law, but very little grace. Luke chapter 5, verse 30 through 32. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need out of precision, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
That's why Jesus came. Is to save sinners such as myself and you. And sometimes we as believers forget that's what we're supposed to be about. Sometimes we as believers focus on the right things but fail to do the greater things. We love God's Word. We study God's Word. We can quote it. We can slice it and dice it. But when it comes to applying God's Word through loving others according to His Word, for some reason there's a disconnect. I know because I, that's where I'm at sometimes. That's where I'm at sometimes. And I, I don't like it. I don't like it. On the other side of the spectrum, we have the libertarians. So on your study guide, those who tout their liberty in Christ may in fact be living a free-for-all life. Tout, T-O-U-T. A free-for-all life. Uh, this free-for-all life is more about Self-love versus loving God's truth and loving other people. It's all about self-love. Self-love. Again, John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We say one thing, but yet we do another. Uh, many of this mindset, and again, I'm talking extremes. Uh, many of this uh, mindset, they um, y- you'll discover this about them. They'll claim that the Spirit is moving them, or this, or God's telling them this, or God's telling them that. And the, and, they, and the only reason why they say that is to give credence to their folly, as though that's that's the answer for their folly. Well, the Spirit moved me, or God told me, and it it doesn't matter if whatever the Spirit told them or moved them to do, it contradicts God's Word. They claim that they're exercising their freedom in the Spirit. You know what I've discovered about these folks? Their experiences always trump God's clear commands. It's as though their experience is the final authority. And in them, it is. That's walking in darkness. That's walking in darkness. It's on your study guide. By claiming God's grace, they by practice abuse God's grace all the while hindering God's work of grace in them because of their sin. Claiming to be in fellowship with God while walking in the darkness of, here's some big words, permissiveness and emotionalism. Permissiveness and emotionalism. There are a lot of folks today who are driven by their emotions rather than Going to God's Word. The new gospel of Jesus today is the gospel of tolerance. 
It seems that uh, today Jesus not only loves a sinner, but he's also okay with their sin as well. It never ceases to amaze me how those who know nothing of what the Bible says try to tell me what Jesus said or didn't say. And they do it all the time. As though God winks at their open transgressions of his word as if it's okay with God that one lives in open defiance to his word. Well, I've got unpleasant news for you folks who think that God is winking at what you... The time of winking is over. Really, Jeff? Why do you say that? Well, Acts 17.30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in, in righteousness by that man Jesus Christ whom he hath ordained where, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead you know what that day of winking is gone I'm going to get myself in trouble so what's new What a folly it is to wave a rainbow flag and say that one is right with God and God is okay with your folly. Yet they thumb their noses at God's word and make outlandish claims about Jesus. They don't realize, I don't know if they don't realize this or not, but they don't realize that the rainbow was a promise from God that he would not flood the earth again in judgment. That's what it was. That's not a promise from God that he would never judge the earth again. Because the next time he judges this earth, guess what? He's going to judge it by fire. First John 1 John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So John continues in his addressing those who, who say and do in relation to light and darkness. And now he presents to us a contrast of verse 6 with those folks in verse 7. First John in 1.7 we say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, John mentions two things about those who are in fellowship with God here in this verse. Uh, Those who are indeed walking in the light, as he is in the light, and not hijacking that light to justify their uh, sinful behavior. Okay, so he's talking about those folks who are truly walking in the light as he is in the light. And that's what we want to talk about, or what I... What I'm going to uh, talk about uh, now, talking about those who are walking in light. So on your on your study on your study guide, I want to talk about the custody of fellowship. Okay, custody. If I misspell this, I apologize. The custody of our fellowship. First John 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So I want to talk about the custody. Notice what John says about those 
who walk in the light about fellowship. He writes, we have fellowship one with another. We have it. We have it. Okay? When we have something, right? We have that something in our custody. Okay? If I have custody of something in my hand, right? I know I have custody of it. Why? Because it's right there. It's right there in my hand. And if that something is valuable to me, then you know I'm going to put a firm grip on it so nobody can take it away from me. Do you understand that? And if they do try to take it from me, and it's truly valuable to me, you know what? They've got a fight on their hands to try to take it away from me. The same is true of our fellowship. We know that John's warning that there are those who want to seduce you because why? They're wanting to take something away from you that is valuable. They don't want you to have it. And that is your relationship with God, being in fellowship with His Son. They don't want you to have that, folks. They don't want to, ha- they may not say that, but they don't want you to have it. And that's the issue with many of God's people. That's the issue with many of God's people. Now let me ask you guys a question. And think about this. Be honest with yourselves about this. Do you value your salvation in Jesus Christ? Do you value that salvation? Is it precious to you? Is that salvation precious to you? Is that something that you truly value? Wholeheartedly, without reservation. Is it? Yes. Second Corinthians nine fifteen says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You know? Who wouldn't value being delivered from an eternity of darkness in the lake of fire? Who wouldn't value having all of their sins forgiven and washed away, separated as far as the east is from the west? Who wouldn't value such a great salvation? You know, when Paul ended his his uh, teaching on giving in in 2 Corinthians 9.15, he ended with this word, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The word unspeakable doesn't mean that you're not allowed to talk about it. No, no, we are to talk about it. But the word unspeakable is, is, it means ineffable. It means there's no words sufficient to describe the value of this gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Now, would you say that the Apostle Paul was a very articulate man? If you are familiar with his epistles, Paul was a very articulate man. He had a lawyer's mind. And if you've been around any lawyers, you know they are very articulate. They've got a way to put those words together. But yet Paul, this great mind, couldn't come up with words to talk about this valuable gift we have. 
in this case, you could use the word awesome. Okay? That's a right application for that word. It is an awesome gift. It's an awesome gift. Okay? What about what comes after salvation? What about what comes after salvation? What about the very reason why Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross? Us being reconciled to God so that we could what? Fellowship with God. Let me ask you a question. How valuable is your fellowship with God? Hmm. Hmm. Be careful. Be careful answering that question. Be careful answering that question. How valuable is that fellowship? You know, Jesus Christ came to restore what Adam lost. Adam fellowship with God in the garden. Didn't he? Jesus Christ gave that back to us. How precious is that to you? How precious? That's what this epistle is about. How precious is that fellowship to you personally? The very thing that John opens this epistle with, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, with the Father and with the Son. Do we value our fellowship with the Father and the Son in our ministry, in our service, in our day-to-day life? Of what value do we place this fellowship? If we were to put a price on it, what would be that price? Uh Would it be worth obedience, submission, and loving even though you're not loved? Is it worth that? Is it worth standing true to God's truth? In spite of the opposition against you? Would it require you sacrificing yourself for the good of somebody else? Is that how valuable that fellowship is? Do we value this fellowship enough to be obedient and submissive and live our lives according to his light? Because guys, that is the requirement. That is a requirement. Or, what time is it? It's awful quiet in here. Or are we content with knowing that we're headed for heaven and we'll go ahead and slop up that porridge that the world offers us? Are we a bunch of Esau's? Are we a bunch of Esau's? Ready to sop up whatever this perishing world has to offer. Forfeiting that fellowship. Or are we like Paul that says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. 
Not on Sunday, but every day of the week. Every day of the week. Maybe fellowship's not important because uh, we've come to the place where our salvation is taken for granted. Again, I have to confess. I've been there. I've been to where I've taken my salvation for granted. And when I take my salvation for granted, guess who else I take for granted? God himself. I've done that. I've been there. And you know what? I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one. Yeah, he knew the struggle, didn't he? Yeah, he knew the struggle. But he also knew the reward. He also knew the reward. It is worth it. Fellowship with God is worth it. Unfortunately, we live in a a period of church history where somehow the focus has gotten shifted. It's gotten shifted off of the Lord and more so on, guess who? Us and, (laughs) right? Us and. I mean, we here preach to God that exists to serve us rather than the opposite. Uh, I, I can't believe this. I, I wish I could remember the. I almost called him a name. I wish I could remember the preacher's name. But he actually said this to his congregation. He says, "Think of God as though he's a cosmic Walmart." Really? Oh yeah. You drop your coin into my collection plate and. Pull the lever and God will give whatever you want. I honestly heard this guy say this. After I picked my jaw up off the floor. (laughs) Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But what comes first? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah. We don't want to do that. We like, you know, everything else that comes along with it, but no, wait a minute. I don't like this living sacrifice part. A lot of us have have, have forfeited the custody of our fellowship with the Father because we're so involved in being conformed to this world. When you start conforming yourself to this world, you're going to forfeit the custody of your fellowship. That's just the way it is. Light will not fellowship with darkness, and darkness cannot abide where there is light. That is a spiritual reality. I attended a a funeral yesterday. Just yesterday. I was part of a funeral. And... um, well, I tell you what, funerals really bring the reality of life to home. And um, it was a young man. He was, I call him a young man. Everybody to me is young. He was like, he'd be 43 on the 3rd. But he was found 
dead alone in his car. And uh, this young man was on fire for God. On fire for God. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was going to be an hour-long funeral. This funeral went on for four or five hours. Because testimony after testimony after testimony. Talking about this young man and the impact that he had on their lives. How he had helped many of these young men and young women get, get back on track with God. Get back on track with God. But, there's always that but. This young man was a slave to addiction. And because of his slavery to addiction, the last year of his life um, didn't reflect what he was in Christ. And I like how his friend described his friend's life. He says, you know how a boxing trainer, when he sees his boxer taking blow after blow after blow in the ring, coming to the corner, getting back up again and going in and doggedly fighting a losing battle. He's losing the battle, but he's, he's in there. Punch for punch. Trying to stand up against his opponent. Bravely losing the fight. And he says a good trainer when he sees his boxer struggling. You know what they do? They throw in the towel. They stop the fight. They see their boxer is going to lose that fight. So they stop it. And he says, That's what God did for my friend. He bravely got out of that corner, fighting that fight. But he could never, never beat his opponent so God threw in the towel and called him home when God throws in the towel in your fight in my fight can we honestly say we fought a good fight can we honestly say we fought a brave fight for the Lord or did we allow ourselves to become stagnant in our relationship remain in that corner not willing to get back up into the ring for the Lord's sake were we all about pleasing ourselves more so than pleasing him when he throws in that towel How precious is your fellowship with God? Is it that precious? Is it that precious? 
I believe in this verse we have two aspects about this fellowship with the Father. And as usual, I'm running out of time. But there's two aspects about our fellowship with God who is light that's very important for us to understand. Very important for us for us to understand. I'm going to go for it. One, fellowship among one another. Fellowship among one another. First John 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now some have understood this phrase to mean fellowship with one another as in brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? And I believe that there is a just application for that. I do believe that there is a just application that when you are walking in the light as he is in the light, isn't our fellowship with one another sweet and precious? And when one of us is not walking in the light, don't you feel that in the fellowship? Don't you get that in the fellowship? Don't you don't you feel that that strain in the fellowship? Fellowship with one another is a big part of having fellowship with God. But a lot of us don't get that. It could be that a lot of us, with a lot of us, our fellowship with God is because our fellowship with other believers isn't what it should be. It's connected, guys. On your study guide, when those who know the truth, born-again believers walking in agreement to the light together, ministering and serving from the same page, motivated for the right reasons, love for God and love for people walking uprightly according to his word, then there will be fellowship within the church. It's when you've got knuckleheads like me who want to do contrary that causes this fellowship to be disrupted. Psalms 133, 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Boy, don't we have trouble with that sometimes. Endeavoring, endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I've been in churches where that endeavoring isn't going on. And there is no peace. No peace. And if you really look at what Paul's writing about here, he's, he's listing hard attitudes. Hard attitudes of the people that will, that promise unity, that promise peace in a church. Do you know what that tells me? I've got some work to do. I've got some hard attitudes I need to pray about and work on and practice if I'm really serious about this fellowship. Because when folks are out of sorts, for whatever reason, and there's all sorts of reasons, this will disrupt the unity in the church. I've been there, done that, and that's just plain miserable. 
It is. It's just plain miserable. Bad attitudes do nothing more than perpetuate more bad attitudes. They kind of feed off of themselves. They dev- what does it Paul say? You devour yourself. I mean, that's all part of it, isn't it? If you love someone, you're going to tell them the truth, right? And hopefully, if somebody loves you enough, they'll come and tell you the truth, and you better be ready to receive it. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's the problem. How precious is this fellowship? Lowliness and meekness? Oh my goodness. There's some of us that really struggle this lowliness and meekness. We have such a high opinion of ourselves, you know. Well, I'm a pastor, or I'm a deacon, or I'm this, or I'm that. I'm not going to bend the knee. Well, then you don't want unity and peace in the church. High-minded, arrogant, short-tempered, angry. You know, Paul spoke to the Philippian church. He said in Philippians 2.1, If there be if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, gosh, there's that word again, if any fellowship of the Spirit, hmm, if any bowels of mer- and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in, oh, here it comes again, lowliness in mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, which we do very good at, but every man also on the things of others. You know, if you, if you learn how to put others first, you've taken a major step in your growth. Unfortunately, with some folks, it's more about my hurt feelings. It's more about my wants. Again, guys, <laughs> I'm talking to myself. That's me. You know? Be careful, sheep. Be careful. There's wolves among us. And they're very clever. They look just like us. They look just like us. So on your work, on your study guide, it is this unity and fellowship in the church that the seducers and antichrists destroy by bringing in discord and disruption by their lies and denials and the perverting of the scriptures through false teachings and doctrines of men. You know what I've, I've seen more often, time and time again? When you've got a church that's bickering with itself, wolves slip into that church and make the situation worse. I have seen this so many times. You'll get some joker, my apologies for that, you get some individual coming in here into a church... And they'll start spreading their lies. Why? Because that church has left itself vulnerable because we're too busy bickering with ourselves. 
that we're not watching for these wolves. And so this wolf comes in and he's got these sly, slick words and then all of a sudden you realize you've got these little camps in the church. On your study guide. To maintain the safekeeping of this fellowship in the church of Christ Jesus, we must hold fast to sound words. And not fail, fall prey to these false words of the immoral Gnostic teachings that are so prevalent in the church today. Don't let these wolves slip in here. And one of the greatest safeguards that we can do to, to prevent that is to be of one mind, lowliness and meekness, loving one another, right? And if Mitch upsets me, I need to go to Mitch. And if I upset Mitch, Mitch needs to come to me and we need to get this stuff reconciled. And if we can't get it reconciled, then we bring somebody else into the picture. Reconciliation is the name of the game. Faith may be the foundation to this fellowship, but love is always to be the, to be the objective of this fellowship. I'm going to say that again. Faith may be the foundation to this fellowship, but love is always to be the objective of this fellowship. Because without love and truth, there will be no fellowship. We must live those sound words. Those words must be true of us. They must be true of us. In order for us to keep the unity in the church, we're going to have to put the Bible on our feet and walk it. And walk it. We speak words that are seasoned with grace and salt. Not whispering in the hallways. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do a Joe Biden. But that's, that's what we do. Don't do that. So we have fellowship one with another. And you know what? That's key in our fellowship with God the Father. Because if you're out of sorts with his children, guess what? You're going to be out of sorts with the Father. That's just the way it is. So we'll close with that.